Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. I'm so grateful to be able to bring you the message this morning. Uh, This morning we're continuing the series, Thinking About Mary, the Mother of Jesus. And the title of this series is, There's Something About Mary. I would appreciate it, you all, if you'd join me for a quick word of prayer. Holy God, open our hearts and minds to the power and example of Mary, your blessed mother. Help us to understand her life, her sense of obedience, and her heart of love. In all your holy names we pray. Amen. So as Pastor Michelle has pointed out last week, we Protestants have sometimes thrown out the mother with the bathwater. We are calling this series something about Mary, as I said, and indeed there is something about this woman. This one young woman is a central figure in many religious traditions. In English, we call her Mary, of course. In Hebrew and Arabic, her name is Miriam, and tradition says she was named after the sister of Moses. She is believed to be a direct descendant of Abraham, who is the father of the Christian and the Jewish and the Islamic faiths. And her ancestors include such Jewish luminaries as King David and King Solomon. She's a central figure in many religious traditions. Now, would it surprise you to know that Miriam is mentioned in the Koran many, many times, and she has one whole chapter devoted to her, Miriam, in the Koran. She has the highest position in Islam among all women. I admit that surprised me when I learned that fact. I believe we are challenged when we begin to think about Mary, the mother of God. She was the vessel of the divine, and she was also a strong, young, Middle Eastern peasant woman. She was almost certainly illiterate. She learned by oral tradition through stories and songs. She was a harried mother of a bustling family, and she was a favored follower and a disciple of Christ. She was someone that Christ listened to. And we know that from the story of the miracle of the wedding at Cana. And that story always makes me think of that old Southern saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So uh, she comes to Jesus with a need, and Christ is motivated to fix this problem for mama. Mary was someone we know that Christ loved deeply, as we see uh, from Christ's proclamation from the cross, when he binds his mother under the love and care of a disciple. The scripture is silent on this history, but I, I think we can surmise from this event that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was deceased, and perhaps Mary's other children were not followers of Christ. We know from the book of Acts that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And many early histories and apocryphal writings assert that Mary, Christ's mother, was a leader in the early church movement. And some histories record that she died at the home of John, the beloved disciple, and she was surrounded by followers of Christ who loved her. And I like that story. I don't know if that story is true, but I really like that story. It's a good one. 
We have done a lot of whitewashing of the image of the Madonna. In some ways, we've tried to kind of strip out the womanly things that are attached to, to her. So here's an example of a Mary, if I can have that first slide. It's this example of the Mary we most see often around Christmas time and Christmas cards and manger statuary. That's it. And uh, this is the picture from, it's Fra Lipo Lippi's beautifully dressed, blue-eyed, blonde-haired Madonna. It's a very sort of sanitized picture. However, the next picture, if I can get that next slide, is from a 4th century Roman catacomb. And that's probably a little more accurate. Dark hair, dark eyes. You see in this painting from the catacomb, she, her hands are lifted in prayer, and the, the baby Jesus is... It really doesn't look like a baby here, but he is sitting almost in the throne of Mary, and that's often how she is depicted during this time, as a throne for Christ. So I believe our task this morning is to try and take in and sit with both of these realities. The human woman, a young peasant girl, who becomes not only the vessel of the human incarnation of God, but also a harried and busy provider for her son Jesus and the mother of an earthly family. She is a beloved disciple whom Christ loves and listens to. And yes, she's also the queen of heaven. We as good Protestants recognize the idea of the Virgin Mary But we don't think or talk a lot about Mary, the Queen of Heaven, or Our Lady Madonna, as I've titled this sermon. But Mary was not a Queen of Heaven when she was chosen by God to bear the incarnation of the Holy Divine on earth. We know from scriptures that Mary was a first century Judean woman of Nazareth, and she spoke with a Galilean accent. She is betrothed to a man named Joseph. We know it was typical for a young woman to remain in her mother and father's household for up to a year after the betrothal, while the dowry and all of the wedding arrangements were worked out. So it would be a mistake to think of Mary, even though she's a young peasant woman, as fragile. As a peasant woman, she was capable of walking the hill country of Judea while pregnant, of giving birth in a stable, of making a four- or five-day journey on foot to Jerusalem once a year or so, of sleeping in the open country like all the other pilgrims, and of engaging daily in hard labor in support of her home. She probably had a robust physique in youth and even in her later years. When she was first visited by the angel Gabriel, she broke into song. And this is our first scripture lesson, which is famously called the Magnificat, after the first word of this song in Latin. And there are literally thousands and thousands of musical settings of this text. So listen for the Word of God contained in this Holy Scripture. This is Luke 1, verse 46 through 55. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon his handmaiden's lowliness. Behold, from now on will all generations call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he hath filled with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. 
He hath helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian martyr who was executed by the Nazis, spoke these words in an Advent sermon in 1933. This song of Mary is perhaps the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This is that passionate, surrendered, proud, enthusiastic Mary who speaks out here. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, an exorable song about collapsing thrones and humbled lords of this world, about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. This is a young girl accepting a dangerous task of bearing and raising the incarnation of God on the earth. And the exchange here between she and Elizabeth is ecstatic and filled with the knowledge that both of these pregnancies are the work of Almighty God. However, just like us, the initial joy of finding out you're going to be a parent can give way to frustrations as our children grow and gain independence. I believe all children are special in their own way, and raising a special child is not easy. I see some nods out there. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. I want to turn to a later story of Christ when he's a 12-year-old boy. And this is the only story of Christ as a child given to us in Scripture. So I believe Luke really has some things to teach us in this story. So listen to the Word of God contained in this Holy Scripture. This is Luke 2, verse 41 through 52. Each year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answer. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Jesus replied, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. And Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage reminds me of another holiday movie favorite, Home Alone. This is such a human uh, mom and dad story. We can all relate to that panicky feeling, the heart in your throat feeling, when you look around and that precocious child has disappeared. They were right here, now they're gone. 
In fairness to Mary and Joseph, we can imagine that they're traveling with a large band of an extended family, and they're used to Jesus just meeting up with cousins and other trusted members of the extended family, and they just assume Jesus is around. But imagine their horror when they realize Jesus is not in the company of travelers. The Bible says they had to come a, they had come a day's travel away from Jerusalem, so they probably had to wait and sit out on the journey back to Jerusalem the next day at dawn. And then they spend three days looking for Jesus. Can you imagine the emotions they're going through? Again, we know this in a very human way. We know that emotion of anxiety and moving back and forth between the ideas of I'm going to tan his hide when I see him and I'm going to hug him so hard when I see him. You know, just back and forth between that. You all know what I'm talking about. After three days, they finally think to check in the temple. And there is Jesus very calmly sitting and listening and engaging with the other rabbis and putting questions to them. And all who hear Christ are astonished by his understanding and his teaching as a 12-year-old boy. And Mary has a very human mother response when she, in essence, says, we've been looking all over for you. Your father and I have been worried. How could you do this to us? And then Christ responds by saying, how could you not know where I would be? And he draws a strong contrast between Joseph, his earthly caregiver, and God, his heavenly father, when he says, you should have known I would be in my heavenly father's house. I believe this foreshadows Christ's earthly mission, his earthly ministry. And this passage concludes with, Jesus went to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. So here we see Mary as the human mother and as witness in her heart to the divinity and ministry of Christ. What I believe we need to capture this Advent season as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Holy Child is that Mary was a very human woman and that God chose this very human woman as the vessel of grace on earth. All these things are true and part of the story. We can embrace the motherhood and the grace of Mary, the mother of God, and we can recognize her work as an example. When I first moved to Cincinnati, Ohio in the early 2000s to teach, I discovered two things about Cincinnati. One, it is in large part settled by German immigrants, and nearly all of those German immigrants who settled Cincinnati were Roman Catholics. So Cincinnati is a really old city. It was established in 1788, and there are many, many, many beautiful Catholic churches throughout the city. And so, as it often happens in my life, I found myself working at my local church, in this case, a large inner-city Catholic church. I was good friends with the choir director of the church, and he asked me if I'd be willing to serve as a cantor, which in the Catholic faith just means somebody that leads the music, the congregational music. So I sang with the choir, and I led the congregational music, and it was a wonderful experience to gain some insight into this theology and to meet some of these beautiful people and begin to understand more of a Catholic viewpoint. Nobody tried to convert me to Catholicism, but I gradually realized as I sang in the choir and led the music that many of the other choir members, my fellow choir members, were nuns and monks or brothers, and they wore regular clothes. 
they were so joyful and kind, and they gradually revealed a profound love and care for those around them. In other words, I wasn't living the spiritual life I knew I needed to live, but I recognized the gifts of the Spirit in other people as they were, as they were demonstrated. And I believe in many ways God used those heavenly, those beautiful people, those beautiful monks and nuns to lead me back into falling in love with God. And I needed that love and care at that time, more than I realized. So the building we worshipped in was about 180 years old, and there were these living quarters that had been sort of tacked onto the back of the church where this small group of Marianist brothers lived. Now, Marianists work in the spirit of Mary. They serve others, and they work for the poor. They take vows of chastity, poverty, and service, and they serve in many ways always out in the world. The image I carry with me from that time was a picture one of those brothers showed me. We were talking about what it meant to be a Marianist, what it meant to use Mary as your example. And he showed me this picture on a brochure that they had that showed inside the brochure were some of their benevolences and some of their scheduled mercies that they provided. And this cover picture was a picture of the Lady Madonna. But it was not a sanitized or a cleaned up picture. It captured an older woman in peasant dress. This image of Mary was barefoot, and yet she looked strong in this image. She appeared as one who had worked hard her whole life. Someone who could give and give aid to others, and yet she was very humble. This is also an image, I believe, that adds to this mosaic of our picture of Mary. She is the queen of heaven, and she is a scared but obedient young peasant woman. And she is a harried mother of a busy family, and a devoted disciple of Christ, and a leader of the early church, and someone who showed the love of Christ to the poor and needy. We don't, in our tradition, pray to Mary, the mother of God. We don't, we don't ask for Mary to intercede for us. But I believe we can learn something from this extraordinary, powerful, obedient woman of God. There is indeed something about Mary. May we follow her example of love and inclusion and mercy as we continue to prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ on earth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.